You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Check one, two. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles. My name is Dan Johnson. I'm your host. And today we have fellow podcaster Bo Martonic on. And this podcast kind of revolves around what's happening right now. We talk scouting. We talk how his season went. We, we dive into the podcasting insight that he has been able to acquire over, you know, the, the course of his podcast as well and I throw my two cents in uh, a lo- really a, a lot of it is scouting heavy content along with how he how and when he feels comfortable on a new property and how long that takes so it's a really good episode man uh, I know that you're going to enjoy it if you like listening to guys who are uh, fairly successful, go out and uh, explain how they do it. You're going to love this episode. Again, heavy in the scouting talk and how that translates to a successful uh, hunting season. So, and if you don't know uh, Bo, he is a big woods style hunter. You know, he, he's hunting clear cuts. He's hunting heavy terrain and a little, you know, most different than, I guess, uh, a little bit different than what I do here in the uh, timber egg split in Iowa and uh, just love talking to guys who can describe what they do and how they do it and uh, that's why Bo is good at you know his podcast and why he's a guest on this this podcast so really good episode today Uh, we got we do have a couple of housekeeping things that I need to talk to you guys about it's almost turkey season, and although the Sportsman's Empire really hasn't been a, uh, a, a 
heavy into the turkey hunting content. We are about to get real heavy in the turkey hunting content with a couple, potentially three. I can't talk about the third one quite yet, but I will talk about the two that are guaranteed here. And so recently we just launched a, a podcast called the How to Hunt Turkey Podcast. And Paul Campbell from the Ohio Outdoors podcast is the host and producer of that podcast. And I'll tell you this, man, it's really good. He actually works for the NWTF, so he's got a lot of connections with guys uh, within that community. And he's putting out some really good turkey hunting content, turkey-themed content, and that's already up. So if you head on over to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network, sportsmansempire.com, you can check out all the episodes. You can go to iTunes. You can go to uh, Spotify. Wherever you download your podcasts, that will be available. And then second on the list, my man Parker McDonald from the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast is launching this Friday will be episode number one will be launched and uh, let's see Friday today's the 14th 15th 16th 17th I believe it's the 17th of this month here in February Parker's going to launch episode number one of the limb hanger turkey hunting podcast again uh, very I mean pretty much all turkey hunting content on that podcast and he's going to be interviewing guys uh, himself included who are just tore up with turkey hunting and because of this like i'm starting to get fired up about turkey hunting now that these guys are putting out some really good content and i typically don't get too fired up about turkey hunting now parker is going to be interviewing guys that he knows in his inner circle that are also really good and really experienced in turkey hunting so if you uh if you're a turkey hunting nut or if you want to learn more about uh, turkey hunting in general, be sure to check out the Limb Hanger podcast and the How to Hunt Turkey podcast. All of the, that content, you can listen to them as an individual, or you can go to the Sportsman's Empire Turkey Hunting stand uh, feed where all, the turkey hunting content will all gather. Those two podcasts included, including all of the other turkey hunting content that the Sportsman's Empire puts out this spring. So uh, go check out uh, all that content over at the Sportsman's Empire. Uh, That's it. I'm going to do some commercials here. Uh, Please take some time and listen to them because they they pay my bills and it allows me to keep going here uh, and doing what I'm doing. So first, I'm getting pretty excited about this upcoming this upcoming fall because my plans are starting to take shape. I still have to wait on a couple draws uh, if I can hunt Kansas this year. But if I get drawn for Kansas, then I think while I'm down there, I'm also going to try to hunt Oklahoma. And I, th- I really think that it's going to be a fun white tail heavy fall for me. I'm going to try to hunt Oklahoma for whitetails. I'm going to try to try to hunt Kansas for whitetails, obviously Iowa. And then I might get out West one time, for a uh, for a mule deer hunt but other than that I don't uh, I, I think this year is going to be a heavy uh, a heavy whitetail run and gun type of season and I'm going to be running and gunning with tethered right uh, uh, last year I my, my whitetail season kind of happened so fast I, I was tagged out really quick so I didn't get to spend as much time in a tethered as I'd like but I've been practicing 
I've been uh, getting more comfortable watching a lot more content that Tethered puts out about their saddle system. And so if you're looking for uh, a saddle, a platform, climbing sticks, or uh, any type of saddle hunting accessory, go, go check out Tethered's website. Uh, tons of in great information there. Next on the list, Wasp Archery. Uh, wasp kills deer dead should be their motto. Uh, I, I absolutely love the people who work for that company. I love the products. I'm very confident with their with their broadheads and even in the marginal shots. Right, you put a you put pretty much any broadhead through a heart or lungs, it's gonna kill. But it's the marginal shots where a, a really good, well designed and well manufactured broadhead, uh, you know, really shows up shows out and that's where wasp steps in man you know the best design in my opinion some of the the best design the best material and uh you know still a majority of their heads are made in america so go check check out wasparchery.com and be sure to enter the discount code nfc20 and that is the discount code for 20 percent off next on the list is hunt stand hunt stand is pretty sweet i mean i i don't know you you take a a product like hunt stand out of my hands and and it would just suck to go back old school with it uh looking at paper maps going online and and being on a desktop computer trying to you know research topo lines and, and research property boundaries and going back to a plat book and things like that it would make it difficult and so the power of hunt stand is is huge in my yearly turkey hunting strategy not only does it allow me to keep my mind in the game by you know constantly being on that app looking at new access routes putting out scenarios with hypothetical hypothetical wind directions but it gives me the opportunity to document every single thing that i see in the woods including manage my trail camera pictures and document where i leave my tree stands and my trail cameras uh, where i see deer and then on top of that they they have a a brand new what's it called the pro whitetail platform and that allows you to uh, the pro whitetail platform really allows you to take that next step into the the obsession that is big bucks and whitetail hunting and allows you to do things like oh man going long here on this this commercial but it allows you to check out rut timing dates and you know food plots and, or uh, excuse me uh, uh, agriculture and things like that so go check out huntstand.com and read up on all the functionality uh, really really happy with uh, the products that they put out last but not least vortex optics um, just an amazing company with amazing products and amazing people uh, they have a VIP warranty, and what that is, is you break it, you smash it, you destroy your product, you put it in a box, you send it back to Vortex. They will riff, they will replace it, or they will fix it. If they can't fix it, they will, they will replace it for free and then send it back to you. Uh, and in my opinion, that's uh, called customer service. Uh, they have a brand new tripod coming out, or it's actually already out. You can go get it. Dude, it's badass, and I know... Maybe for a whitetail hunter, uh, you're not really focused on a, uh, a tripod at all, but it's perfect for summer scouting or summer spot, uh, you know, spot, put a put your spotting scope on there. Uh, it's perfect for packing in and out on an elk hunt or a mule deer hunt. So go check out their uh, their brand new 
uh, tripod. It's badassvortexoptics.com. And that's it. Lastly, before uh, we get into today's episode, I do want to mention that in 2023, I really do want to focus on giving back. And that's why I am a uh, a member of 2% for Conservation. And I am a... I'm on the board of directors there. It's because I believe in what this company stands for or this organization stands for. So if you want to find out more about conservation and how you can give back on your level and get certified, whether you're individually or your own uh, or your company, fishandwildlife.org. Go check it out. (gasps) All right. 10 minute intro. We're done. Let's get into today's BS session. I'm just going to call it a BS session with fellow podcaster and whitetail nut, Bo Martonic. Three, two, one. All right. On the show with me today, Mr. Bo Martonic. Bo, what's up, man? What's going on, Dan? Long time no talk. How have you been? It's been a while, man. I think think you've only been on this show like one other time, maybe. It's been a long, long time ago, though. Yeah, yeah, I think it, it's been at least two or three years, um, if I remember. I don't know. It seems yeah. like the, the years are kind of starting to blur together a little yeah. bit in the podcast journeys. We both, uh, you know, are doing that, and and uh, it's, it's crazy that uh, how how fast I guess time passes with all that. Yeah, the crazy thing about this is I, I don't how many how many episodes have you put out that you know of. Do you have that 286. Number? Okay, 286, all right. And I I put out multiple shows a week, so I've I've done over 700. And what is crazy about even, you know, your number, my number doesn't matter, it is it's the amount of people that you meet and at the same time it's the amount of people that you forget. Uh, and and it's embarrassing sometimes <laughs> because I I went to uh man, where was I at? It was either the ATA show or it was um, the Iowa Deer Classic, and a guy came up to me. He's like, "Dan, man, hey, how you doing, man?" I'm just like, "Oh, hey, how you doing?" He's like, "Hey," uh, he starts talking to me about all these things, and I'm just like, "Hey, man, I apologize. What's your name?" He's like, "Oh, you had me on your podcast like four <laughs> years ago," and I was like, oh, "Okay, okay, I I don't remember, and I apologize for that, but you know, it is what it is." Yeah, yeah, and and, and it happens when you you're talking to so many oh, different. Yeah people all the time and it's like not it's not trying to be rude at all it's not like that person's you know, right a less important it's just really difficult to yeah. keep up with everybody when you're when you're talking to a lot of yeah. people at one time i can't even keep track of my own kids half the time so <laughs> so don't be offended if i if i forget about you <laughs> yeah so uh how is everything going in the podcast game for you guys good yeah everything's going going well um uh, yeah, I've been, been doing it now for going on five years coming up here and, and July will be five years and, and almost one year of doing it, kind of putting full-time effort yeah. into it. So it's been, it's been good. It's been a learning, learning thing. That's for sure. But, for sure. uh, it's been fun to see kind of the podcast morph through time and kind of as my interests change and yeah. as things change, like just kind of how, how it, um, I don't know if maybe matures is the is the right word for it or not but how it changes i guess yeah that's a fact man and the the whole podcast game as a whole too i think because when, when i first started and uh, when, when did you start it would have been 
my first episode went out July 1st of 2018. Okay. All right. So around that time I started in 2014 and then 20, yeah, somewhere around 2014, 2015 and, and 2018 there's, that was when I would call the, the ramp up like everybody yeah. at the time started putting out a, a podcast and for about, I'm, I don't know about you, but I would say maybe three years uh, in that time frame, maybe four, it was just everything. I mean, everybody was coming out with a new podcast and some of it, some of those podcasts, no offense to anybody who's takes this the wrong way, but they just really sucked. And so it's <laughs> cool to see who lasted. And also, cause in, in my opinion, I feel like there has been some kind of bubble pop in the podcast game. And then out of that pop has come a whole bunch of really refined, high quality content. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I definitely agree with that. And it is funny when you look back at like that time period, I felt like, yeah, about the time. So I had, I had the idea for the podcast uh, about a year and a half before I actually did it. I yeah. was just too nervous. Didn't know, you know, how to do it. If, you know, if anybody would ever listen or how, if I could get guests on, you know, that whole right. thing. And then, and then I felt like when I did it, I felt like I was too late. Like I felt yeah. like there was so many others out there at the time, but I don't know the way I look at anything is like, if you just do something long enough and you just continually kind of refine it and get yeah. better at it, that you, that you're not going to fail. And I mean, it's, you know, there's, there's uh, a handful of us that have definitely lasted the test of time, at least for now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Until there's some major algorithm change or, yeah. or, or social media bans all hunters, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah. you know, you made a really good point there. And a lot of that carries over into, into deer hunting and, and this trial by fire, basically, where you just don't, you're not successful in business and you're not successful as a podcast host in just a six month time frame. You're not successful as a hunter if you're just one year into it. I mean, there's so much to learn. And, and, and so like the, just the carryover between business and hunting and, you know, what is relevant and what is, you know, what works and, and it's hard work and dedication to a thing will make you better at that thing. Yeah, no, that I mean, you're exactly right. And, and I, I look at that with anything because I'm, I'm never good at really anything that I start out doing. Like, That's it takes a me a lot of yeah. time. It takes Same me here. a lot of time. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't know, I just feel like that the, the more time you put into something like you're, you'll eventually get a return if you don't yeah. quit at it. And it doesn't mean like you should do the same thing and not learn from it over and over again. Maybe you might not get the results you want, but if you just, you know, just it, but it takes throwing yourself into it. And I think like, I've always been someone that struggled a little bit in the past of like, and I still do sometimes where I overanalyze something. And if I do too much research on something, I typically won't do it. Yeah. But if I, if I can get just enough to get me going and, and kind of run with it, then I'll just kind of figure things out as I go, which, yeah. uh, could sometimes as, as I'm sure you're, you've run into this too. It's like you get into, um, you get into the to problems you didn't anticipate that right. takes a lot to figure out, but I feel like you come out better on the other side. And I think it's a, yeah, the same exact way with hunting. Like when, when I started, you know, hunting out West, you and I have talked about that before. And I just kind of threw myself into the, the, the middle of it. I'm still learning that. Like right. that's going to be a lifelong 
uh, learning lesson and, and I'm just trying to, you know, go to new places and, and hunt different places and experience it. And all of it, I kind of look at any new thing I go to do is like at least three year plan. Like right. It's, it's going right. to, I look at that for even, even hunting locally in Pennsylvania. If I go to a new area that I've never been in, it's going to take me about three years to have a good handle on that spot. Right. And that's just, that's how I look at it. Right. Yeah. I'm the same way, but probably even closer to the, I, I am not with all things, but I am the throw the instructions away with the box and learn some, learn it the hard way. And that's kind of a bonehead move for me, <laughs> but that short-term pain I feel is worth the long, the, the flattening of any learning curve and success in for me anyway, comes sooner if I do it in a way where I go in to something not knowing anything and then I'm learning, I'm like, this sucks, but here I learned today, I, I learned this, I learned this with podcasting, I learned, you know, this and this today and, and oh, oh, here's a failure. Oh, then, you know, the next week I had to overcome this little thing and then over the course of a five-week period, five-month period, you're just like, clicking it. And so that's for me, whenever I started to find out about, and I don't, I'd love to hear your opinion on this. Do you, do you listen or read a lot of other hunting how to type content? No, I don't. Yeah. And that's the same with me. I, I, I just can't do it. And I, for me, I don't, man, how do I put this? I don't want to be influenced by that's anything. Exactly, that's exactly what, that, what I was going to say is like, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be influenced and changed. Cause I've been, I've done that. Yeah. I've went down that road where like, I remember when it was probably six years ago when it was like the mobile hunting craze, like really kind of took off yeah. and I started like holy cow, I need to rethink what I'm doing because yeah. it was like, I need to hunt a different tree every single time. Like I need to, I need to be bouncing around first time's the best time. Right. And, and, you know, there's some truth that can be pulled from that. But when you're looking at your specific area, um, it, that might be change that might change. And like, for me, I'm hunting where I'm hunting mostly big woods type stuff and low deer densities. You bounce around all the time. You'll might, you might not ever see a deer where yeah. you gotta, you gotta, you gotta sit in the same spot over again. That was just an example of yeah. like, where me taking in media of how to's didn't really help me on that front. Right. Now I think, I think that the information there's a plenty of really really good information out there. It's just I try to I try to not influence myself too much with it. And then also as someone that creates that stuff, I don't want to uh, be influenced on how the way I'm doing something based off of seeing somebody else do it. Right. You know what I mean. Yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey man, that's a, that, that, that also uh, carries over to podcasting too. So like I, I don't even listen to a lot of outdoor podcasts 
and I own a, a freaking network because I, I want to say everything that I'm doing is authentic to me and my decision making, not listening to, you know, three or four outdoor podcasts and going, hey, I want to talk to this guy about the same thing that this guy did. And then and then the next thing you know is it's it's inevitable in our space. But we have all of these people talking to the same people, talking about the same things every, at the same time of year. And it's just like outdoor podcast and and i am guilty of it too is beating a dead horse just like oh it's postseason scouting time let's talk about it you know yeah yeah i i know it's it's actually funny i was uh i was doing a podcast with a friend of mine uh, troy pottinger uh i don't know about a month or so ago and i didn't even realize because so i i do listen to some hunting podcasts on a on occasion um but not not a lot i listen to a lot of podcasts but most yeah. of them are are different they're business related or they're just something completely different than hunting yeah. and and i didn't realize that troy had been on with a friend of i think it's a mutual friend of ours aaron aaron Bla- uh, blaze of uh the fall okay yeah yeah uh podcast and he was just on it and uh troy said something to me before he's like did you listen to the one i did um with Aaron and I was like no I didn't I didn't even know that that was the the case and and I was like but I go even if I did you know I probably wouldn't have had him on at the same around the same time yeah. but I I don't like listening to it so it doesn't influence me to like subconsciously like take the conversation the same way that right. he would have you know right. that sort of speak so I try to try to do it where it's like coming from my own mind and asking questions yeah. and talking about it versus because it's it's inevitable when you hear something even if you don't mean to you start picking up on things or maybe it kind of changes how you ask questions that's at least the way it is for me all right so you've talked to a lot of people i've talked to a lot of people let's let's try to find some similarities uh from some of the the biggest killers or the guys who have consistent success every single single year what is a a theme that you run into with these guys who are going out and getting the job done every year that they it doesn't matter how much time they have they go into the last second that they have available yeah and i think i think that's a huge theme that i see is like the guys that are successful every single year it's not that they're always just getting it done on the first or second time out there they might not always be the absolute most efficient hunter in the woods except for Andy may but other than him, like, like it's, it, they just keep, they don't quit. They go yeah. until they, they can. And, uh, I think that's, that's definitely the, the top trend that I see amongst all of them. What about on one your side? What do you see? Yeah. I mean, I will, I, I saw a, you know, scrolling through social media or something. I saw this, uh, Michael Jordan and all the championships that he won and then it listed the years that he did not win championships. And so there was this time frame before, you know, Michael Jordan was the greatest basketball player of all time where he did not win any of these championships. And so I, I look at that and I go, the, the, what happened was he had all this, all this experience that led to him being the greatest. You know, obviously there's other in, uh, things that go into it, but he learned in that period of time, just like the Andy Mays of the world, just like, uh, you know, the Dan Infaults of the world, they go out there and like some of these guys went through spells where they, they had to, you know, they had to learn to get to, to this point. And they've learned 
like just exactly what you said, that they hunt every single opportunity that they get, you know, before the season ends to get the job done. And sometimes that's a late season hunt. Sometimes that's October 1st. Sometimes that's grinding it out the whole rut, but they're versatile. So, yeah. But outside of that, one thing that I've noticed on, on these people is the, the people who go out and get the job done consistently are also guys who they don't have any other hobbies, man. They, they may have a, a whole house full of kids and they're married in a busy lifestyle, but they're not doing softball tournaments. They're not going to the bars. They're not, they've made hunting a priority for themselves. And, you know, their, their priority is usually family and, and then hunting, just like what most people are. Uh, and, and then they don't really do anything else. Like some guys fish uh, when you can't hunt, but they're outdoorsmen. And they, they've learned an area. They've become efficient in that area. And then they just rely on past experience to go in and their time. And it kind of comes back to what you said, that their time is efficiently geared towards hunting or bow hunting, you know, specifically. So uh, that, that's just, that's the, the other thing. Any, anything else that you can think of that you would see as a, a theme or a trend? Uh, I just wanted to add to that a little bit of, yeah. And it's like, I, and I've learned that even about myself, like the years, if I try to spread myself too thin to mm -hmm. like, say if I'm like trying to, Oh, I want to go hunt here. I want to do this. And I start doing too many new things. I never, I don't do as well at the thing that I've, you know spent all this time like learning how to do efficiently right. and like for myself i've learned that like if i want to be successful in hunting that i can't i can't be one of these guys that jumps around to a bunch of different states right. and does all this stuff like for me i want to learn specific areas like on the whitetail side pennsylvania is where i grew up and that's like what i i love to do but i know it's gonna it's gonna take me a long time no matter if i've been since i've been doing it since i was you know, 12 years old till now, it doesn't matter. Every year is different. I need to put in a lot of time. And, and recently I've been trying to learn West Virginia and that's been, you know, I'm going on, this will be year three that I'm going into there and trying to learn it and like really put time in there versus like, Oh, going here and there. Now I always like to do at least one like adventure type trip. That's completely different a year, but like out I, west? I think like, yeah, like out yeah, West, okay. but I, I want to, I want if I want to be like good at doing something that I know I need to put the time into it. And I notice that with my guests, like is, yeah. is the same same type of thing. You know, I'll have people that are that are, you know, quote unquote experts in their area or their field or their specific. And that's what they focus on. They're doing right. that all the time. And I I'd, so I just wanted to, to add to that. I definitely see that as a trend. But the other thing is um, also their they're detail they're detail oriented uh that's I an see excellent that. point man excellent i see them in most not all i've seen some that are that are kind of disorganized that just put in a ridiculous amount of time and figure yeah. it out but i think the majority are very detail oriented in one way or another some of that might be with uh some of it might just be with their their gear and having everything dialed and the way they're set up and they're efficient when they go in the woods they're not banging things around because they know where everything's at they can get yeah. up a tree quickly they know where everything's positioned so if they have no headlamp on they can do that in the dark yeah and then there's you know other people that you know that are really detail oriented with their access and kind of their plans and their scouting 
all of those things. I just feel like detail oriented people uh, tend to be some of the ones that I'm talking to the most that, that are inevitably successful. Yeah. And, and really that the, the more you prepare, I've found the more you prepare, the more you are successful and the more your head is in the game. And, and even as, so I don't know about you, but I got my, my cell phone and I have, you know, hunt stand and other apps that allow me to e-scout all the time. And I'm out there, even on properties that I have like 10 years of experience on, I'm in there. I'm just going, okay, you know, hypothetically, what if the wind's doing this? And it allows me to get my head in the game all year round. And so when I, when it's time to hunt, I'm not having to think about access routes. I've already thought about it the last six months. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, yeah. or what, what to do if I need to get into a location and the wind is not the ideal wind, but I still need to get into that location. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point. And, and, and I feel like that was something that I've also learned because I, yeah. I like, I love scouting. I love walking new areas and there's, you know, I always put a goal every spring to do 200 miles on the boots of covering ground and checking areas. Well, for a while it was like, I was covering just new areas, new areas, new areas. And I, I learned I, I, to become better during the season. I, my time's better spent picking like three or four areas and really walking them multiple times yeah. and, and picking trees, you know, picking trees, say in the spring, I'm going through and I'm marking like, okay, that tree would be good. This is how I would need to do it. Sometimes I'll even carry my my sticks and everything and go in and climb yeah. the tree to make sure i can when yeah. the season would come and so i try to plan out all those things ahead of time and and spend that time in it and another thing that's helped me is and i can look at all these things i can look at maps and e-scout at home all the time and mark spots but my my brain is only so big and i can forget information when you get into the heart of the season yeah. and you start say you're Say you've been hunting, it's it's your your rut week, and you've hunted. Say you have ten days to hunt, and you're on day seven. And you're like, you feel like you have, and you're not having any success, and you're like, man, I don't know what to do. Like, I, yeah. I you feel lost. Where where in your head, where you really have, <laughs> you have multiple spots. You have so many spots that you could go to, but you kind of get scatterbrained. So for yeah. me, it helps to write that stuff down or or type it up as I as I do, and like have lists of like on certain wins what places work so that I can make it a very easy approach. Like, okay, if I'm feeling lost, I can look at what I call my hunt plan and be like, okay, here's three options, pick one of them and go to it. And you know, you already have the access figured out. You have all those things and just go to it and make it more. Um, so you don't get paralysis by analysis and start, yeah. you know, freaking yourself out. Yeah. So I'm going through something similar to what you're doing out there uh in west virginia right so I'm, I'm heading west and i'm trying to figure out some mule deer out in south dakota and nebraska and i've been out there multiple years now how how long does it take you and how many seasons of going to the same place and trying to figure out deer movement does it take you before you start to feel confident and going into a place saying, Hey, I know I need to be at this pinch point, or I need to be, you know, on this ridge or, or I know that there's an acorn tree here and it usually is going to have a doe group come feed under it. How long does that usually take you to, to get confident with a, a farm or a spot? I think it's three years for me. Yeah. I think it takes, it takes at least three years to really get 
you know, under me. Cause I always look at the first year as kind of like a test thing, you know, yeah. whether it's with cameras or hunting, like I have some kind of test things that are in my head that I think would work out. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes like I won't even hunt an area the first year. I might just drop cameras in places as far as like kind of, and, and just let them soak and kind yeah. of get, get me, get me a head start on year two. Maybe that, that year one, I'm hunting a place that I already know. And then all of a sudden I go in and it's like, okay, now I start breaking it down more and walking more of the land or like, you know, where you start, I, I guess to go back, like say you're looking at a big area and you start by hitting these priority areas on the map that you marked and you're checking them. And then as you go after year one, whether you hunted it or trail camera data, you start finding areas that are hotter than other areas. And now I might try to break down those smaller areas in more detail. And then that takes me to the next step and figuring that out. And like, so going back to West Virginia, the first year I was down there, uh, I was hunting with a, a friend of mine that has hunted there his whole life. So like I had that reduced the learning curve a lot. And I, and I had a shot opportunity there during that, that first time that I was there. But the second year I went in, which was this past year, I was all on my own and going in and trying to figure it out. And, you know, I had these inclinations, but I still didn't have like the full confidence in myself of some of these spots. And some of them were like, they proved like, man, if I would have just sat there, yeah. like I thought that it would have worked out. And then there was other places that were complete bust that I thought, you yeah. know, that I would have thought would have been good. And I started learning, you know, the second year I started finding patches of white oak trees that, that I didn't know, you know, were there. I started to see how deer were using a different type of cover that I wasn't used to, you know, with these old coal mines, they had a lot of, uh, autumn olive bushes are grown through and super thick and nasty all through these spots. And I'm like, I, I wonder how they're using this. And now I, then I, this past year, I started seeing trends on how they were working the terrain yeah. and using this stuff. So now as I go, I'm going to go back down there in the next month or so and scout it again. I have more of a, I have a better plan of how to go and I'm actually going to go through and kind of prep trees and look at things and try to figure out how to, you know, when it comes into this fall, uh, you know, have a better, better game plan going into it, at least more confidence in it. Yeah, absolutely. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So when, when you are, and I know this is a tricky question because every place a person hunts is different, right? Big woods, you know, then we have Iowa, which is like a 50, 50 ag state. And then we have, you know, certain, you know, whitetails live everywhere. Right. And, and so the, the question that I have for you is, is there a, when you, when you're out and you're scouting, and you're looking at, you know, this West Virginia piece, what are you, what are you looking for that you've looked for in the past from other properties that says, okay, I've, I, I have a spot like this at this farm, like basically similar things in a new property. What's that look like for you? Yeah, that's, that's a good 
question. And, and for me, I, I always, when I'm looking at like e-scouting and I'm trying to figure out an area, I'm always looking first is vegetation diversity. Yeah. So I'm trying to find where there's like, if I'm looking at a map that there's different types of trees or habitat that, you know, whether it might be open areas that are grassy fields, or if, if it was like an ag country, different ag stuff, and then, you know, conifer trees mixed in with mass trees and like all of those different things. I want to find the most diversity that I possibly can. And that's always, that's something that I've found in all the different places that I've been to that, that is definitely something that, that correlates. And then also, um, then I look at terrain and things that a lot of the areas that I've, I've, uh, hunted historically have had different terrain and, and elevation changes throughout. So I'll see patterns of certain terrain features that, that deer like to move on. And the steeper it is, to, to be honest, is the, it's easier as far as how the, how those terrain features are being used is because it's, it's really pinching deer down almost like a, a fence row would in, yeah. in ag country. Like I look at, I look at things that way. So really it's like i take those those main things looking for vegetation diversity and specific terrain features and then trying to understand whatever that new area that i'm going to what how how much do i think that weighs in on that specific area based off of yeah. the, the conditions that are presented yeah yeah it, it, it's so crazy because you know you to me that made sense right but you got a guy who is new and let's, I want you to say the same thing now, but I want you to yeah. say it to someone who is in year one of trying to figure out a new property or year one of bow hunting period. Like, so, so give me the translation, dumb it down. Yes. Okay. So what, what I'm looking for is when I'm looking at a map, I just want to see to, to really like simplify it. It's like, I want to see different colors on that map. Yeah. that show that there's like a patch of something that may be dark colored on the map. If you're looking at an aerial map, that's showing like, okay, that's probably some sort of a conifer tree, whether it's a pine thicket, a hemlock uh, yeah. stand or something along those lines. And then maybe you can see an area that's really like light green and almost looks like a field, but you can kind of see trees that might be a logging cut that, that would be a food source. It'd probably be bedding. It has a lot of different stuff associated with it uh, when you're looking at big big wood settings and then open areas grassy openings or whatever that might be those are important in a couple different reasons they can offer as a as a food source in the late season if it's still green or they might be munching on things there but it also means that these bucks don't want to walk through the middle of that open spot so it kind of just like it helps you figure out how the deer are going to move around those places and the, and but i like where multiple things meet at one point so yeah. the different colors on the map there and then i then this is where i turn on the topography side of the layers i turn that on and i try to see where say uh, an example of a pinch or something that i look at from a topography standpoint would be a bench on the side of a hill so a flat spot on the side of the hill where the topography lines are wider and it might be you see a bunch of topography lines that are close together, meaning it's really steep on one spot. And then above that, you might see the same thing. And then a flat spot in between. Yeah. It's like, okay, there's there's a, a more likely chance deer are going to travel through there. And 
now where does that coincide with so where can i find where that coincides with vegetation edges yeah and that's giving me a really good starting point to go in and check those areas out now a lot of that is associated with rut type movement so that's but that gives me that gives me starting points when i go in and i scout and yeah. look at those places and now i might start finding like okay there's oak trees here and there's a really nice point of a ridge that goes out and that would probably offer some good bedding for those bucks. So I'll check that out. And then you start putting pieces of the puzzle together. Like how would they be traveling to this? Why would they feel safe bedding in these locations and yeah. go and, and for somewhere that has a lot of, a lot of terrain, like Southern West Virginia where I hunt is extremely steep. It's big country. Those topography, features where a lot of them meet are are so important what i like what is called a, a topo hub so basically you'll have say three or more ridges that meet at one point so as we're, it's so steep there that these bucks run up and down the points and then up over the tops of the ridges and they might run some side hill stuff going through but for the most part they're trying to find anywhere that's even relatively flat to go so we're yeah you can find where multiple places meet at one point that just that's an odds multiplier yeah uh for for finding movement or sign or you might find a you know typically i'll find a big scrape there it's a good spot to throw a camera and start you know dissecting that area a little bit so once you've found one of these locations right is there usually sign there maybe old scrapes or old rubs from previous years in these areas that you've you've mentioned Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Typically, typically when you find those, those travel kind of areas like that, where there's a lot that's meeting at one point, there's some sort of communication tool there, whether it's a, a signpost rub or a community scrape, that's just, you know, you could see has been used for years. And yeah. if I find that stuff, that's like, you see a, a, a scrape tree that has five, six, seven licking branches. Some are old and not even being used anymore. But they, that's like, for yeah. me, that's like a, that's a green light. Like, man, this is, this has been historically a good spot. Yeah. And then does that ring true then when you're looking at your maps and then you say, okay, well, I know for a fact, because I've been, I've had boots on the ground in this location. It has rubs, it has scrapes, it has activity. Maybe you've even hunted it before. How confident are you then that if you find another location similar to that uh, using, you know, digit, you know, e-scouting or maps or whatever, that that same activity, not necessarily activity, but the same sign, yeah, we'll just say activity is, is there at that spot as well. Yeah, that you're, you're hundred percent right. And that's, that's what I use is like those trends and yeah. finding things. And, and sometimes it takes, it takes a while. And like we were talking about, you know, me saying it takes at least three years for me to really figure out an area because each of those things are going to change a little bit. Like, you know, what's the best type of sign or what you're going to find and sign looks different in different places too. Yeah. You know, there's some areas that'll be littered with sign and sign that you thought looked like great sign in one spot. If it's, if there's a hundred of those places in one area, then that's might not right. be as good. Or if you go to an area where that's like the only thing that looks like that. So yeah. I try to take it and, and it's, it's all relative to each area, but you find that for me, at least by just walking around a ton and, and trying to get a gauge on how things are looking, but there's a lot of trends that you'll find 
in in these places at that you can look at a map and it starts it starts to make your e-scouting easier as you start applying it to different places yeah how important is understanding topography and and I, what, what i mean by that is looking at topo lines and being able to read what that says i think it's i think it's critical to to be able to do that because I, I think no matter where you go even in areas that are relatively flat topography can teach you things like yeah. I, there's some areas of big woods that i hunt that's pretty flat with some swamps in it and some things there that i've learned that even little just little topography changes can mean you know if there's a little rise that might be uh, in a, a swamp and you have you know your contour intervals which I'll, I'll explain this in a second, but your contour intervals as small as you possibly can say like 10 foot intervals. You can start to yeah. see these little, these little spots that are, you know, better for deer to bed or a low lying area that's running into a clear cut that might be across this giant flat top, but those deer are more likely to c go right. in that low lying area, right. kind of like a field versus, you know, just walking into it randomly. And and so I think topography, no matter where you're at, is important to be able to read. And I think it kind of can help you almost map out potential deer trails without even without even stepping foot in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, more truer words have never been spoken, man. I, mean, I, I could, before I was using topo lines, I would just use satellite imagery. And then I would go to my farm and I'd say, you know, man, why are the deer like from where I was at, I could see into the field. Why are they all in this one spot in this field or, or this pasture or whatever? And then you drive out and you can't see that from the, the, uh, from the road or whatever, or you can't see it from certain points of, you know, if I, if I wasn't in a tree stand, I probably wouldn't have been able to see them. And it's only just like a two or three foot difference, but you know, deer can, disappear and all that stuff it wasn't until i pulled up topo lines and like what you said change the intervals to the smallest uh uh the, you know to the smallest interval where i could start seeing why deer move in certain areas or why they move and it is 100 percent because they they don't want to skyline themselves now i'm not saying that holds true everywhere but they are always taking some kind of path, even if humans can't understand it. They're taking a certain path for a, a, a really good reason. And whether that is some kind of scent hub I've found where they can, they can smell three or four different drainages all from one point, or it's to stay low and out of sight to get to a food source or, or you know, whatever. There's, there's so many different op options there, but man, I, top once i've once and it it really hasn't been too long ago i would say like maybe five years only that i've really have dove into topography and man it is once there's a couple aha moments there for sure i think anyway yeah and and i think too like now that e-scouting tools are getting better with 3d imagery and all this stuff like i think all that stuff's helpful but i think it's still so important to understand basic topo maps yeah. and understand how that that works because I, I don't know i just see so many benefits with being able to read a map and be able to to understand you know thinking about what the how the deer are going to move through that and like you said with you know the fields and i was i was actually going to turn that question back on you and you you kind of answered it but as far as like I, I don't have as much experience in like hunting 
some of the agricultural right. lands that you do. And do you find, I mean, you, you gave one example there, but do you find that still just holding true? Well, here's a, here's a perfect example. I'm sure that you've seen in your in your scenarios in big woods is there's always a main ridge right that is very noticeable but on the sides of these main ridges if you're if your topo lines are too far apart you won't you won't be able to see them but if you go to the lowest uh uh you know what i mean the 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 lines are yep, yep contour interval you're starting to see these subtle other little small ridges on the sides and I call those spur ridges, right? So a spur ridge on the side of it. And from, from my experience now, I wouldn't say I hunt big woods, but I have a couple farms that are all timber, right? And they're big, they're big drainages that go down to a river bottom and then, and back up. And so they run on these, these very subtle depressions on the side of the the ridge almost like if someone was going to build a set of stairs up the side it wouldn't go straight up it kind of just it it kind of is horizontal with the ridge but kind of works its way up to the point and so on these ridges one thing that i've found is that if you can find them on the topo lines and you can get a tree stand somewhere in towards the top of where that's that that subtle depression hits the top of the ridge you can really use thermals and cut the wind really hard as they as they curve up to an area and you can get away with absolute murder in those in those spots man i mean they're just i don't just talking about it brings me back to several tree stand locations that i have and the the topo lines tell the story and so the closer the topo line, the better story that it tells. And if, you know, on some of these uh, satellite imageries, there's some shading that can get thrown into it and you can really see it and it really pops out. And, and so, I don't know, I, I get fired up about things like that. Yeah. Oh man. And, and the same thing too, like I, I know of some, some spots that I have, like you, you, you hear the term thermal hub kind of yeah. thrown around where yeah. it's you know a, a low-lying area we got multiple ridges that kind of run down to it and it, it creates a you know toilet bowl effect with mm-hmm. winds it's hard but the deer love it because yeah. of that they can smell everything there's always good sign there and and they can be difficult to hunt but once you start learning how the topography and how thermals and stuff work you can figure out how to hunt some of these spots yeah uh depending on the wind speed and everything without going geeking out really hard on that yeah it's like when you learn how that works you can find use things like streams like small creeks like i'll I'll hunt right on the bank of those in those areas because if it's a low uh, wind speed day my thermals are going to pull down that stream even though out in front of me where i might be shooting might be swirling and doing all these things yeah right where my tree's at and that the last two bucks i shot in pennsylvania were that exact scenario and that I was able to to sit basically right on that stream bank and my thermals pulled down, you walk 10 yards in front of my stand and throw milkweed out and it's going to go a completely different direction than yeah. where it does at that tree. Yeah. I got a spot on a creek where on a north wind, the it's not necessarily the water that causes it. I think it's just all of a sudden all the... The wind is blowing on when I hunted on a north wind, 
and maybe even a little northwest. But what happens is we the there's no trees growing in this area. And so on the banks, there's all these trees, and they all kind of curve up, and they create a literal tunnel. And so when, it, when the wind blows through this bedding area to the west and to the east, it's all, it all catches in this tunnel, and it just then sucks everything down, right? And so it, I, can drop, I can drop my milkweed, and it just floats forever when it's, when it's consistent, even if it's a little stiff wind. I mean, it's going over the back of all these deer. And so the only thing I have to worry about is just getting into the stand and i usually kick up a couple deer going into the stand but once i'm in it a lot tight and then the same stand on a south wind the wind is blowing right at me but it hits the bank of the uh the river bank or the creek bank and it causes a draft up i wouldn't call it a thermal if there's therm if, if it's a warm day it helps but it just goes straight up, hits the bank, goes straight up. I'm in that draft. And my, when I drop my milkweed, it just goes straight up. Almost, uh-huh. almost on a south wind, almost all times a day. Even in a cool, uh, I would say, even in a cool spot where, um, you know, thermals tech are, you know, usually pulled down. So... It's a it's a pretty sweet spot, and uh, man, I, I've I've gotten close to a lot of really good deer in that in that oh, little that spot. Oh, that gets me. Yeah. That gets me fired <laughs> up here in spots like that. When you find like I call them bulletproof spots. Yeah. When you find a spot that like you feel like you're invincible from the yeah. wind standpoint. Like that's our biggest enemy when right. we're in a tree. I, at least for me, and I'm like, man, I just feel confident <laughs> right. at that point. <laughs> you know, it wasn't until right now us geeking out about these spots that I now understand nerds a little bit better because <laughs> although I don't, uh, I wouldn't call myself a nerd. I nerd out about things like this. And so when, when like you hear someone talk about, well, Lord of the Rings episode one or, you know, whatever, whatever, yeah. or, or something that is real <laughs> nerdy, I go, I now understand because they have this passion for this thing. And, and then most of my friends, none of them will really hunt. And so it, it's like, whenever I start talking about, so why did you hunt in this spot? Well, here, let me tell you. And then by in five minutes into it, they're just like, that was a dumb question. I should have never asked it because you yeah. just went way <laughs> overboard with every, everything you did. So, um, yeah, so, so, funny. so topo lines, thermals, all the other, what's another topic that you nerd out about? I, I nerd out about scrapes and I nerd out nerd excuse me I'm losing my uh, words here but I I nerd out about scrapes and how deer are using them in specific places like there's some yeah. scrapes that I'll find that are just worked year round not necessarily paw on the ground but the licking branches and understanding how they use that as a communication tool yeah and and so like for me i really i love finding scrapes that i find deer are using outside of the typical pre-rut rut time frame yeah and i just i enjoy trying to figure out why like why that location of the scrape or the specific type of tree what what makes them do that uh and and every year, so I, I 
I run quite a few cameras and I, I probably, well, I, I know I run at least 50 of them now, um, through different areas. And I run a lot of test cameras of like, Bo has a theory that pops into his head or he sees something that may yeah. be completely off the wall. And I just toss the camera there and let it sit all year just to figure yeah. out how deer are using it. And I, I found trends like with, with scrapes of like, okay, say you find one in like a big topo uh, funnel, like I was, or yeah, topo funnel, like I was talking about, where you have a bunch of ridges that meet at one point. That's pretty, pretty standard. But now it's like, okay, as you're out scouting and you find a big scrape, and it's like, okay, trying to figure out what time of year do you think these deer are using it? And like, yeah. even before running cameras on, I start seeing trends of like, okay, if I find areas that have a bunch of, now we're going back to the the vegetation diversity standpoint. So for example, for us, logging cuts are a big deal because those are kind of like the food plots of the big woods. And yeah. they, and if you get one that's in like a three to eight year old range, they have enough brows that like, you know, the, the trees are, you know, just over their back as far as being tall and they're able to browse on a bunch of stuff there's a bunch of briars in there they're nibbling on yeah. but it's also thick enough for them the bed so it's like wherever deer are spending their most time like those scrapes that are around those areas typically are better outside of other times of year yeah. and also like those places the even when there's not as much when the leaves drop off the trees it's still cover yeah like there's some places i'll find that that I'll call them early season scrapes that when the, the woods are all green and there's a lot more thick cover and a lot more bedding around. But as soon as the leaves drop off, that spot is completely ghost town. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's fun for me to kind of geek out on that yeah. and try to figure out how they use communication to, to, to work through the woods. Man, I'll I tell you this, I've tried to be that guy who finds an active or finds a fresh scrape and sit over it. But more times than not, it doesn't lead to anything for me. And, and so, like, I don't even, I don't, I may move into an area because of a, a like, let's say I, I'm doing some in-season scouting or I'm going in to check a trail camera somewhere and all of a sudden all these these big rubs and, and these uh, scrapes pop up. And what typically happens is I don't care about where they actually are. It just tells me deer are in here moving around. So then I go to my next step, and that is to locate the best terrain feature in the area. And so I'll, I'll identify the area as being good by the sign that I find and then move in to, I don't know, like a, a staging area or uh, yep. maybe a spur ridge like we, we talked about. And usually some of those places kind of coincide. Like sometimes there's a scrape at the bottom or at the top of a, a spur ridge, or maybe there's some uh, small rubs that are in that, in that path as well. But usually, man, I, don't, I don't know why, but I just don't get geeked out about, about scrapes and rubs. I, un, I understand the purpose of them, but like for me, when it comes to the strategy, I just, I don't make a ton of decisions based off that. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. And, and I know, I just know that like in the, in the big woods, it just seems like those, yeah. those are key things. But I will say what you just, what you said there is something that I use in areas that have high hunting pressure, uh, where those things jump out of people, for example, saddles. Um, yeah. so, you know, low spot between two higher points in a ridge 
your travel through there it's 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 no secret it's been talked about for a ton of years well in a lot of places i hunt there will be a tree stand or two in the center of that saddle and there's always a big scrape there i mean it's always like a big it's a great spot to run a trail camera if it if you're not worried about it getting stolen (laughs) and having them in that spot but what i do is like when i find a place like that now i start like looking out i might look at a map or walk it and like okay where are they coming from to go here like where are they going and it might be three four hundred yards away going out around that point on the side of a hill there's a spot that that there's a, a small bench and maybe some mountain laurel that give that makes it you know thicker gives some cover that's associated green briar that gives some some cover there and now maybe i might set up there where there's no there's no real sign there might not be a scrape there might not be any rubs but it's like a micro feature that they're yeah. more apt to go through during daylight versus that spot, that big, you know, where, where everybody else can read that sign and see it too. So mostly at the time when I'm not hunting directly over it, it has to do with a hunting pressure standpoint. Or uh, I've also come to learn that a lot of the, the older deer won't, won't always just hit the scrape or walk on those flat benches. They'll walk just over the edge. Um, that might be, it might not be that far away. It might only be 10, 15 yards. And sometimes it might be, it might be 80 yards away, but yeah. I look for those faint trails that kind of go off the side over one of those terrain features close to there that I might set up on while still playing off of that scrape. Yeah, I got it. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we kind of talked a little bit about everything and we also kind of talked about nothing really today and so i mean i love i love the the scouting talk cuz it's really relevant for this time this time of year man I, I can't wait uh man february is a busy month for me but as soon as i think it's like the the last week in february i'm putting my boots on and i'm going to start making some moves and, and really kind of even walking through some of the properties that I'm really familiar with, because just like you, the big woods, man, it, it can, it can, one tree can fall down. And then in the next year, it's just five times thicker in that area. Right. And so it changes so much that I felt like I've been neglecting some of these farms and kind of just going to old reliable spots every time. And, and so I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm looking forward to this spring and, and putting on some miles, man. Yeah, same. And and I, I do want to add a point to kind of like bring this full circle. Like yeah. When you're we were talking about e-scouting earlier and going through that for new areas and going into it. Well, sometimes I, I do the same thing where there's areas that I've been hunting for seven, eight years now that I start becoming lackadaisical on. Like yeah. I just know historical sign. And then sometimes I'll go do that and hunt that and real and not have the same success I did in the past and wonder why it's like, oh, I didn't realize they logged over here. You know, yeah. that completely changed it. Now they're feeding over here or there's no, there, uh, there's, you know, maybe there was, um, one thing that's been hitting Pennsylvania is the, um, gypsy moss and, and killing a lot of the oak trees or just killing the acorn crops for the year. So it's like, yeah. that changes everything. And there's a lot of things that can be changed for it. So, I, and, and you start, and I was talking about this with Tony Peterson a few months ago, we were like talking about how, when you, you start becoming patternable yourself on like how you walk through an area or even going to check trail cams or doing anything. And so I try to in the spring, like do something different, even if it's yeah. an area that I've been in 
so many times, maybe parking my truck at a different spot or accessing and just walking through a different area to look at it from a, a different set of eyes and uh, be able to, to figure it out from that front. And then looking at maps again, I think that's so crucial as, yeah. as far as like going back, even though you know that and you've probably walked every square inch at one point of that property, the more experiences you have by hunting there, the more you learn. And when you go back and look at a map, sometimes all of a sudden something will jump out of you like, man, you're an idiot. How did you not know that before because of an experience? Right. And it just helps you put those pieces of the puzzle together. So that's yeah. that's where I'm in the process of now. This spring is like, okay, I have like three areas that I definitely know I'm going to focus on again that I've been in for years. And but then I'm going to have two to three others that I kind of just go out and start playing with. And yeah. I could I have, I just love walking new places. Yeah. Like that's like my favorite thing to, yeah. to be able to do. Yeah. Although I miss that really man. Productive. Do you have any, do you have any kids? I don't. Okay. Well don't have, don't, I'm saying maybe have some kids, but don't have three of them. Okay. Because all <laughs> yeah. uh, right, right now, every, my, my scouting missions are going to have to be like, get in my car, haul ass somewhere, scout for like, 20 minutes and then come and then come back home that's that, that's about yeah. what i feel i have for free time these days yeah no that 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 makes sense it's definitely it's definitely situational right, as far as right. what, where, you're, where you're at in life and everything when you can do it and it's funny because when i started this podcast and doing this it's like and even when i went full-time with it i was like man i i'm gonna have so much more time well when you're working for yourself as you oh, know Dan, yeah you're actually busier than ever yeah. because like you know, if you're working a, a you're working a regular job, you can be lazy some days, yeah. and it's not going to like penalize you completely. But if you're not working all the time and and doing other things, and although that like my work surrounds the hunting type space and hunting content, someone's got to be there actually doing the work and putting it out. Because if there's not stuff going out, then that's not you're not generating anything from it. And right. uh, so I I have less time than I did before and that's even without kids so yeah yeah, that's the mix i can imagine that uh it's it's a very strategic um approach to your it's it's almost uh, the strategy it's almost as detailed of a strategy as we talked about today talking you know geeking out about you know thermals and and topo lines that's how that's how detailed i have to be to get free time to go do some of these things like i can remember back in the day when i was going to check trail cameras now I check trail cameras like three times a year. That's it. Right. And so once right, you know, like I drop them in the summer, I check them once before the season starts and then I'll check them probably in March, late, late February or March again. And so yikes. Yeah. Busy. Yeah. Busy life. Uh, I hear you, man. Well, that's, that's cool. And I think, I think a lot of people can relate to that from the standpoint of only having so much time and like, you know, I just, you know, I just talked about goals of 200 miles on boots yeah. and all these things like that's everything's got to be toned down to what you have available absolutely. And, being, absolutely and being able to do that and I think that I don't need to go hike 200 miles every spring I just like going to do that and yeah. I can do that for um, I, I am able to do that so that's one thing now if you you, you might you know condense that down to two or three farms or two or three spots and you can do that in a couple weekends of being able to go out or after work type of deal so it's all it's all relative and just the same thing with sign and different areas everything's just like 
you tone it to what you have available. Absolutely, man. Hey, Bo, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on today and uh, good luck scouting in the upcoming weeks. And, and uh, hopefully that all leads to uh, another big woods monster uh, this upcoming season, man. Well, I appreciate it, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.